Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Lexus Enthusiast podcast. My name is Kevin Watts, and I'm the founder and editor of the Lexus Enthusiast website. And today I'm joined by Tom Cordner, the former executive creative director for the Team One ad agency that helped launch Lexus. Welcome, Tom. Hey, thank you very much. So 1988, you helped found the Team One ad agency with the express purpose of launching Lexus. Before we dive into that, how did you get to that point in your career? Well, I had gone to a school called Art Center, which is known for, you might know it because of its, uh, its uh, automotive design program there, but it was a very prestigious school, and, uh, they, and one of the curriculums they had there was advertising. So I began there, went to New York, and then found my way into very successful creative agencies to build my portfolio, and one of those was an agency called Shiat Day at the time. It's now TBWA, Shiat. And to be honest with you, the only car experience I've ever had was none. Um, <laughs> the, the closest I got to sheet metal was Yamaha snowmobiles and Yamaha motorcycles. And luckily, I was found uh, by uh, Stu Upson and Stanley Becker of Dancer Fitzgerald and Sample, who was then the agency uh, for Toyota. And uh, I was interviewed among a bunch of other people, uh, creative uh, people, to uh, interview for this opportunity. I had no idea I would get it. And so you went straight from no experience in the automotive world to launching a new car brand? Yep. <laughs> that- and, and, and the irony of even of that, and it stayed with me, when I hired creative people, I hired people expressly that had no car experience because I, I didn't want old thinking. I wanted new thinking. And so I didn't hire people, although the agency was made up of a number of people that had car experience. So there was always that support because of the connection to Toyota. But creatively, I didn't hire uh, car creatives. Well, it makes sense because, you know, the majority of people that buy cars don't know much about them either. So it it does make sense for sure. And and what were those initial meetings like, you know, when Toyota explained what they were attempting to do with Lexus? Well, when I was hired, I was still in my other job, and I took some vacation to go to Japan on the very first study team. And we were now sitting in a lot of meetings, uh, seeing the car, seeing uh, how they laid out the car, uh, how they compared it to Mercedes and BMW, uh, how they actually would drive those cars to make them break and then say, okay, this part or this, let's say this engine after so many hours under so much stress, broke, let's make it better. The whole idea of Lexus in the beginning was to be better than Mercedes and BMW. And so they would stress these cars out and parts and things to the point where it was ridiculous. And then we would go into these meetings, we'd drive cars, we'd go into these meetings, we'd hear all the engineer groups talk about what they were doing, what were the goals, what were the milestones, those things. And then when we got into uh, Tokyo and we got into the mahogany wall buildings, you know, in the, in the rooms and EJ Toyota and a lot of very senior, senior people under him explained the purpose and how proud they were and how important this was to the brand. It was daunting for me. And yet, I don't know, I was very naive. And in the process of that one trip, I went from naive to seriously, this is going to challenge me, challenge us, and I'm going to meet the challenge. I am not going to be deterred 
and I am not going to let these people down. Kind of a, I went from that one emotion to the other emotion. It was crazy. Well, you have to think, and I, and I mean, as a, you know, dyed-in-the-wool Lexus enthusiast and thinking about that original LS400 and, and what a game-changer it was for the industry. You know, the passion and the resolve of the people at Toyota, you know, that I, I must have been very infectious. It, it was, and then and I was going to respond in kind. In other words, when you think about how important the tiniest, tiniest little detail was to them, and then it became so important to the agency as well. And really, in the end of the day, it was everybody wanted this brand to be really special. They wanted it to be uh, to do the right thing in every aspect of every touch point, whether it be the car or the service, the dealerships, everything about the experience of the car had to be about uh, doing it right and doing it better than anyone else, doing it better than Toyota's ever done, and doing it better than Mercedes. And they knew how Mercedes treated people in BMW because they weren't really particularly nice to people. You want us, you buy us. Right. And they sent engineers over here to live in parts of Southern California to live the lifestyle, to live like people who bought these cars. And they did crazy things like put on fake fingernails on the engineers just so they could touch things because they knew women were going to buy the car and they wanted to make sure if they had these long extended signals that it would work. <laughs> so it was so much about the details and that's how, you know, as I got on the plane, went back and well, we'll talk about that around this pursuit of perfection later, but right. that's how that came about because that was, I, it just had to be something that would match their commitment to it. Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, one of your like many claims to fame is uh, is the tagline, the relentless pursuit of perfection, which was the original Lexus tagline, and it was really maintained for you know nearly twenty years. Uh, can you talk us through that, the creation, and how it evolved? Sure. Um, when I got on the plane to come back to the United States, and I really hadn't officially gone to Team One yet, I still had like another week or two where I was working. I was on the airplane flying back. 40,000 feet, whatever the altitude was, and I was writing taglines like crazy because I knew we would have to do, we'd have to create a tagline because Toyota had a, at that time, oh, what a feeling. Mm -hmm. And in that was a troubling issue for us because oh, what a feeling was about how I feel when I buy the car. And by the way, I think that line, while it wasn't executed well uh, creatively back then, it's still a great line because it, it is the essence of buying a, a vehicle these days. You know, you, mm -hmm. you feel great when you buy it, right? Right. Um, so I knew I had to come up with something. But that was from the perspective, or what a feeling was the perspective of the consumer. What I wrote, The Realist Pursuit of Perfection, was perspective of the engineers. Right. The perspective, it was more inwardly. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese understood that because it, it created a problem for us later on. But they understood it was more like about chest pounding. They, they got that, and they were a little concerned about it. So I knew that we would go through this period of what I call slogan festing, where you would just write slogans, present them to the client. Everybody would, like, you know, in committees, you know, ha have opinions, and pretty soon you'd go from 25 or 35 of these things down to so many of them, then they'd go into focus groups. So, so what I did was I wrote that, and I never shared it with anybody. I never shared it with my creative people. I never shared it. I shared it with Scott Gilbert and said, uh, who was my co-chairman partner at the time. 
I said, but I'm not going to bring it out until we get that because I don't want it to go under a lot of scrutiny because it won't survive if it, we go through all the scrutiny because everything was like overly uh, scrutinized back then. Right. So, so it sat for almost a year because, you know, the brand didn't launch until 1989 of August and I was there in July of 1988. So it just sat. And we had lots of things we had to do in the meantime, getting staff all ready. And it was sitting and sitting, and pretty soon I was hiring more people. Scott was hiring more account people, and we were building the agency, and we were doing many, many things for Lexus before we ever got to the launch. And then uh, we got into uh, the part where they wanted a line. They wanted to get it out there in, 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 you know, in the world to see what focus groups thought of it. So it, I, I don't remember the exact number. I do remember that the core of the brand, and I was talking to Rich Anderman, who was a person, or a client at the time, one of the clients. Uh, I remember him saying uh, that uh, "Elevate Your Automotive Life" was like either a tagline that they thought they might use, or it was actually the core of the brand uh, that that Dave and his team had put together with us. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all these A3 papers and all this stuff is crazy time. So. It got, we, we were down to like maybe 15, you know, and, and when you have, when you present to a bunch of people in, in, in a company like this, everybody has their favorites. It's this normal human reaction. Right. So it got down to, I don't know, maybe under 10, and that's when I brought it out. And because everybody on the client side had their favorites, and we, and some of the agency people had their favorites, that's when I brought it out. And like, because then everybody had the favorites, like, oh yeah, whatever, but Tom has something. So <laughs> I brought it out and then we started using it. And when they, when they, they would show, I forgot how they did it, but they would show uh, certain kinds of images and then they would talk about the line. And then what happened was some woman said, well, look, if any car company or any company had a line or their theme line or whatever she called it was the relentless pursuit of perfection. I'd be interested in that company. I would really seriously consider buying their product. Mm-hmm. And I went, thank God, thank God, thank God. <laughs> and then, because it was all over the place. It, if you've ever been around focus groups, it does get all over the place. It gets polarized by certain people in, in the group. So then, later on in one of the other groups, some guy was kind of interesting, a little edgy, a little anxious, and he said, I don't know, I don't know. He's getting closer to that line being interesting. He said, I don't know, people call me relentless. I don't know if that's a good thing, you know, because I don't know if relentless is a good thing. And I go, oh, God, oh, please, 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 <laughs> please don't do this to me now. I got it. Okay. So the point was, eventually it survived, but it hadn't survived. Pretty much everybody was on board. Pretty much no one really understood how important it was going to become, but they did know it was some, a lot of people started liking it. And it really felt like what Japan was doing doing about. And it felt like it was to the core of what the brand was all about and the experience with the dealers and stuff. But still, there were people who knew dealers and they knew that there were dealers out there that were relentlessly pursuing consumers and selling cars, right? So that was kind of not a good thing. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of anxiety over it. And then we went to Japan. And and I don't remember whether we got the line approved and, and some of the campaign or... We got we had the campaign and the line, but when we got to Japan, again, the, the interesting thing about Japanese is they they ask very intelligent questions, deep thinking stuff that you know that we we have to anticipate. Mm-hmm. 
And the, the thing was, they, they actually said it was like chest pounding. And a guy named David Minkin I, in the room, he was an account person with us, and Scott uh, mentioned Scott, and I think Scott said it, well, yes, it is, but it's about Kaizen. And that made everybody's knuckles go from white to relaxed hands and mm-hmm. like, okay, but nobody, we, you didn't leave the room in Japan and they said, oh yeah, go for it. There was none of that. Right. You had to leave, go back in on the plane, go back to LA, and then eventually you found out, okay, we'll let it go forward right now. So that's how it, that's how it happened. And, and it eventually, like, eventually the line became the persona of the experience, the persona of the car, persona of the factories in Japan. It's very much tied into the the core of the brand as you said like it it represented the the deepest core uh, of lexus not just maybe to the people that were working on it but to the consumers that ended up buying the car that that feeling that there was um that the deep no detail was too small and and i think it really captured the way that lexus has been represented right but here's the interesting thing It, it, it one of those things that when those lines are right it's like the ultimate drive machine, uh, Nike, just do it. It's like a rudder in the water, and it, and it guides everybody, guides the agency, guides every kind of interesting touch point, uh, every piece of the business that uh, outwardly focused this part of the business that Lexus works with, PR, everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, and it's also a measuring stick. It, it measures every decision you make about the car, about marketing, about any of that stuff. And... And we were able to keep it going for about seven years, really strong, until uh, management changes. When management changes, then things start to change. And, and that, at that time, uh, Sakai came in and a guy named Jakuma, things began to change with those guys. And is that around the time when you switched from uh, relentless to passionate? No. no. We, we, stayed, we stayed with that. The, we stayed with that for a while. Um, and then at that point, you know, Jim Press was outside the, you know, Toyota. He again came back in. And when, when those guys left, Takuma and Sakai left, Jim eventually came in. You know, uh, Anaba was around. I forget his, his time, but he, he was in and then he came back. He came back when we were doing, uh, Anaba came back when we were doing uh, 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 something wicked this way comes. But oh, okay. I'll, get, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. For sure. So Jim Press. In a lot of the meetings that Jim Press had, uh, it was becoming more and more important. It, here's an interesting thing. The interesting thing was the launch of Lexus, I don't think anybody had any idea that we would be as successful as we were that quickly. Within three and a half years, we were outselling BMW and Mercedes. Within three and a half years of the launch of that brand. Right. And it's kind of like, holy cow, that's yeah. a big deal to everybody, right? Right. And they were also selling it you know, uh, they were selling it in Asia. They had the gray market, of course, but they were, you know, that they couldn't avoid. They were trying to deal with, they were selling it in Australia and New Zealand. So they were selling it in parts of Asia. And they were also setting up a beachhead in, 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 uh, in, the, in Europe. In Europe, it was very difficult because of the established brands. Right. So they, but when press came along, more and more emphasis, and, and you have to understand, when the, when the, when, in the early 90s, when the bottom fell out of Japan, when the, 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 they went, started going into a tailspin in terms of financially in trouble, 
the, the focus on to- on Lexus, they took the focus off Lexus and they put it more on Toyota mm-hmm. because that's the mothership, right? And, you know, they had to write that ship. They had to get their sales because they had the global 10 factor that they were trying to get to. And so they were trying to deal with all the economics. And they kind of took their eye off of Lexus and they really were doing nice things with the car, but not great things for the car. They weren't moving it as far forward as the original LS400. So Jim comes along and they are gradually getting more and more focused on the world then. And what they realize in different parts of the world, that the word relentless is not a great word. It doesn't translate the same. So Jim comes back. He's talked to me about it before. Jim comes back and says, uh, I think... We're go- I think we should change it to passionate. Well, what he didn't tell me was he changed it to passionate. <laughs> <laughs> I think we want to change it to passionate or work. And I said, I don't know, Jim, I'm not sure. So anyway, it became the passionate pursuit of perfection. <laughs> That's kind of how that went down. It just kind of happened. It, it happened, but it happened for a very honest, you know, a very good reason. Oh, absolutely. It, it, I mean, it, it's, you know, they were now focused globally. And we'll get into now later when, in, in this discussion about where the car is going and how important it is globally now. But, mm-hmm. okay, keep going. I'm yeah, good. But, uh, yeah, like we talked a little bit about the, the launch of the LS400 and, and uh, establishing the core brand values. Like what were the challenges with that in terms of, you know, building a car company right from the ground up? Well, look, Dave Illingworth, who I love to death, I, I, there's not a man in that company that I love more than that company besides him and, and, and Yoshi Inaba. He and Ted Toyota had a daunting challenge. They had to figure out what the brand was going to be about with lots of help. They had the how we're going to do it in America cause, and then how, what, what were the expectations. So you're managing expectations in Japan. You're managing how the management style of Toyota slash Lexus is in the United States. Uh, Japan knew the strengths and weaknesses of Toyota in the United States. And what they understood really well was the dealership experience. And they knew that people were like, just they, the last thing they wanted to do was buy a car. They wanted to buy a car, but they didn't like the experience. Mm-hmm. So they were going to change the experience. That was like, it was as, as important. The buying experience was as, absolutely as important as the number of stitches in the seats. Per inch, it was that important to them, uh, and they were focused on it, and they were focused on doing it right, and they were going to do it right, and they were going to pick the right people. I I only can remember there's a a Lexus or a Cadillac dealership. I think it was Soul Cadillac in Texas. Okay, and he had written a book about how to how to sell cars, meaning how do you do it the right way, and this is a guy from Texas, from Dallas, I guess, something like that. And, he'd be, and eventually he had Sewell Lexus. And his book was kind of the template for, for them to, how do you, how do you work with the, with the consumer? How do you greet them? How do you talk to them? How do you uh, turn them into uh, lifelong Cadillac owners? Or how do you now, how do you turn them into lifelong uh, Lexus owners? And that's the impetus of elevating your automotive life. It's a kind of a weird phrase, but that's how they ended up with that phrase. Of course, yeah. So that became like a model for them. I mean, they had everybody. They had people that were dealing with the dealership experience, how, how the, the architects would design the dealerships, how much space they needed, how big the, uh, uh, the, the service bays were. They had lots of training uh, of people, they, the technicians. I mean, they, they trained everybody 
that would have anything to do, have an outwardly faced inner encounter with a consumer. It was just mind boggling. So, so Dave and Ted, mainly Dave and his team was responsible for, for all of that. And that is like really a huge challenge, mm-hmm. really a huge challenge. And then of course, Ted Toyota and, and his coordinators were the, the people that w- work with Dave, work with us, work with all the parts, and then help keep Japan in the loop on things. Mm-hmm. It was a monumental thing. It, it's mind-blowing what they did and how they came out of the gate perfect. They came out of the gate perfect. No card service a dealer, or rather salesperson, came up to you and said, uh, can, can I help you? They, I mean, they might say, can I help you? But they would say it, well, if, when you need to talk, to talk to me, I'm over here, you just look around. I mean, they were just amazing. And they still do that. <laughs> yeah, well, interesting enough, here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing. It's still Toyota organization. And the pressure to sell more cars than BMW and Mercedes increased exponentially over time. Mm-hmm. When, when, you have, when you have that kind of pressure, you put pressure on the dealerships. When the dealerships get pressure, they put pressure on their managers. And the managers put pressure on the uh, salespeople. So they got a little bit away from that, a, a touch, uh, in, say, let's say in the late 90s. And uh, then they kind of like, well, let's figure out how we get back our mojo. How do we get it all back again? It wasn't like they were like, you know, fell off the, fell off the ship. It just was the pressure was a little bit too much. And like that brings up the uh, you know as you said in the in the mid '90s, late '90s, there was a there was a bit of a lull. You know, once the LS, the ES, the SC all launched, uh, there was a bit of a product lull. The whole brand uh, seemed to lag, and and you know from research, it seems as though once there was a shift in management, that uh, everything kind of got a little bit more convoluted. And how did you get through that period? Well, to be honest with you. When Sakai came in and Jakuma, the product, there was like a, a lack of focus on the product, coming out with new product. But there was also difficulties with getting things approved. And uh, so it was just, it was it, for a very frustrating time for everybody throughout the entire, both organizations. We just slogged through it. Yeah, and it then And then what, what the salvation of the brand, I think, was the, was the RX. And at one point, the RX was like over 50% of sales or around 50% of sales. Yeah, and it, even now it's, you know, around 33%. So yeah. it, uh, it may, it's maintained its presence in the lineup. And then, like, as you, you know, you went through this and then there was the third generation ES and then there was the second generation GS, you know, late 90s. And Lexus really started to get more aggressive with this advertising. Uh, they, there was an ES commercial where it's like kind of, beaten up the Autobahn. And then, of course, there's the, you know, the famous GS, the something wicked this way comes campaign. What pushed you in that direction, in that more aggressive direction? Yoshinaba. Okay. Yoshinaba came back and he was head of all of Toyo. He replaced, I think, Sakai. And he's a very interesting man. He's a very cultured guy. He likes marketing. He is a very sophisticated he has a very sophisticated way of looking at things, and he, he wants you to get out there. He's a, he's a guy that's been around the world. He's, he's spent a lot of time in Europe. He, he saw what good marketing was, saw what good practices was, were, uh, and so I think he was very open. So, you know, everybody, you know, everybody takes their lead from who, who 
runs the ship. And he was a really interesting guy. And I had a really good relationship with him. But at a distance, you know, respectful distance that, that, I, that, that one would have with the uh, president of Toyota and Lexus. So mm-hmm. he, I think, encouraged his people down. It was time to, you know, to uh, release the Kraken. <laughs> was that the new slogan while you were there? <laughs> no. And then, you know, in, in a way, we kind of like, we, we, we tried to stay. I kept, my job was to keep everybody always having one foot in the relentless pursuit of perfection or the passion and pursuit of perfection. I, I was the guy that was kept everybody saying, well, this is where we came from. It still has to have a dotted line to that original tagline. And, or, or at least it's always about the pursuit of perfection in some way. Some element needs to exist in all the advertising. So, you know, but, but let's get more emotional. And that was a thing that was lacking in the brand. I mean, and, and, and research was proving that out. Mm-hmm. So he understood the brand lacked emotion. We also needed to talk to younger consumers. This is a difficulty, and we'll get into the, the products, the new products now. The product was they were just boring cars now. They were boring. The people were kind of boring. They were true to Lexus. They were good people. They were getting older. We were that the GS was supposed to uh, get bring in a younger audience, but the trunk was too small. It was a little underpowered. The original GS. The ES was still nice and kind of a little bit more uh, feminine. Um, women, you know, my husband has the LS, I have the ES kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted to attract younger people. And, 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 the, and the client wanted to attract younger people. So that's why the Autobahn commercial, and there's a whole campaign, they're, they're, they were actually brilliant at the time. Yeah. And why something wicked this way comes because of the power. I think at the time it was just a little under seven seconds uh, zero to 60 at that time. It's, it's, so we were just trying to get younger people at that time. Right. And it does, it's funny because it does really reflect what, uh, what Lexus has gone through now in the last, you know, six, six years or so with the introduction of, uh, their new design language and, uh, really focusing on, um, you know, getting younger. we talked about, you know, something wicked this way comes we talked about, you know, some of the the uh, the commercials that you worked on. You know, was there any particularly memorable ones that 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 you can remember? Like, you know, what was your favorite vehicle launch, and and how uh, you know how did those come about? Well, for, certainly, uh, something wicked this way comes was like, wow, we're this is really this is really whoa, this is really going to get a lot of attention, right? Um, and the ES campaign, the, what we talked about, the Autobahn with mm-hmm. Jeremy Irons, what we did was, it was it, and that, that was interesting, too, because we were using celebrities' voiceovers, but not using celebrities on camera, right? which was a, an interesting idea, because the client uh, at that time was interested in getting celebrities, and we said, no, don't put celebrities on the screen, let them be voiceovers. But I think the, the one campaign that I, obviously, the LS400, in the very begin, very beginning, the launch of the LS400, we reduced this noise, we reduced that noise, so you could hear this noise. Do you remember that commercial? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then, then it was the champagne glasses. And the champagne glasses was pivotal, because at that time, we were just in the beginning, and everybody was still like, is this the right campaign? It feels right. We're not sure. What else are we going to do? We had the sh- we had we had a, had the launch, but the only commercial that really stuck in everybody's head was 
we made everything quiet so you can listen to the stereo. Mm-hmm. That was the only, only commercial that everybody universally went, wow. So then what's next? <clears throat> and I remember Dave and sitting in a meeting and we did the champagne glasses and Dave was like, I'm not sure. And Dave said, okay, how do I know, how do I know with this demonstration that it's a luxury car? Because remember, how do we know, how do they know it's a luxury car? And it was a good question. And Dave's, Dave's suggestion was, can we put him in a tuxedo? Meaning, can his sleeve and his, his shirt like, feel like it's in a tuxedo or something? And we go, yeah, of course. <laughs> Duh. And we did that, and everybody went, got it. And then, we, then the, the, the snowball was now rolling down the hill. It was demonstration, demonstration. So I think the most memorable campaigns were the ones that were demonstrations. Until we came along... And we did Wicked, and we did the other, and then we did the RX. And I don't know, uh, it was like unlike any other vehicle in the world, and it was like these weird, like, circus, yes. circus characters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's crazy, visually. It was shot by this guy named Stuart Smiley, uh, uh, Peter Smiley. And that was, like, infused a lot of energy. And to be honest with you, it, almost all the clients wanted the brand to have a more youthful uh, approach. They 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 had all the research. They knew what they were dealing with. So they, we were trying to push the ball ahead with advertising, even though the product was lagging. Except for the RX. The RX was a, a really nice product at that time. In the research before uh, talking with you, there was uh, there was a, a bit of a, a pushback from the dealers with those RX commercials. Um, yeah, I think there was a little pushback, but here's was a real pushback. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is funny. Okay, the IS launch, and it was the entry level to get young people involved, right? We need to get young people into the brand so we can gradually sell them up into other cars. <clears throat> that was the campaign that the dealer said. They bought it, and then they said no. There was one dealer who said, uh, and, and to your point, the RX was one of them, because I'll go back, I'm sorry. Yep. The, the RX was all the fire, the craziness. And one dealer said, uh, yeah, my, my son saw that, and I had to, I had to turn the TV off. <laughs> I just took, so they're such traditional guys, right? Yeah. But the IS also was rebuked by the dealers at some point. But, yes, the, 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 the RX was out there, and the dealers, you know, they're lagging behind a little bit in terms of what their expectations are. Right. And, they're, and they're okay with somebody coming in 55, 60 years old buying the cars. They're not quite as focused. On, on youth as, as Lexus was. Obviously, some dealers were, I mean, because there's always a really great smart dealers, but others, like, it's good, it's good. So, yeah, that spot was one of them, and the IS spot. Did you ever see those IS commercials? I remember the thing with uh, the RX commercials, uh, and I was reading uh, The Relentless Pursuit uh, by Chester Dawson, and it was talking about how one of the dealers uh, thought it was like uh, devil worshippers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it it was kind of, that was kind of crazy, but yeah, the, the IS was young people in the car. There's like one guy uh pretending to blackmail his boss. Oh. And there was Yeah, okay. There was one guy doing a deal with like a Russian, yep. like like he wanted money. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were yeah. cinematic. Yeah. And and the point of it was they were fun and they did reach the audience well. But it really, I don't know, it was like trying too hard to make the brand, to give the brand some elasticity that it wasn't ready to accept, just in general. But we got it through because we desperately wanted 
a more youthful approach to younger people. So in 2003, you left Team One, you joined J. Walter Thompson as Worldwide Creative Director for Ford. What was it like moving from Japanese luxury to the American mass market? Nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. I came at a time when they were absolutely in triage, where they had abandoned the car market. They, only were, they were doing extremely well in trucks. They were doing well in SUVs, and the business was turning upside down in Detroit. And one of the problems with Detroit, you have to have a gun to your head, their heads, before they'll make a change. And so it was very difficult. I got really good work. I did a really good job of getting the creative people to do a really great launch for the, um, the F1, F-150 in 2004, the Mustang, uh, the GT40, um, and some of the other products. But it was kind of crazy. And it was kind of like the right decision. It was the wrong decision for me. And it was like a lesson... Uh, I learned, but I, I love the people uh, there in, in, in Michigan, and, um, and there's many aspects of it. I hated the, hated the weather. That was the thing that killed me. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a challenge to move from uh, Los Angeles to uh, Detroit. Yeah. I, live, I live about uh, two hours away from Detroit, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> you know, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, current direction of Lexus. Do you still follow Lexus closely? You know, I I'm, I follow the advertising a lot, and I you know I'm online a little bit, and I'm I, I really I'm being an art director. I am uh, I, I I really watch the evolution of the last six years of the design philosophy of the cars, and I'm I really like them mm-hmm. a lot. So I think they've got the cars moving in a very youthful direction, without being too off-putting for older people, because I think. The brand has now solidified itself in its place in history as in terms of the quality of the experience and quality of the car. It all works. It's all tightly knit together. And now the cars are very aggressive and very interesting looking. So I think the, the, the design philosophy and the experience is, is, is really going well for them. I, I understand how clients change, um, senior manager change, and you kind of drift away, drift around, go here, go there. You get research that pulls you here, pulls you there. <clears throat> but the cars are technically superb. They're visually beautiful. They're very aggressive. You can go back to uh, the pursuit of perfection, and you can bring out those kind of, kind of details to remind people of that. But I think it's time to evolve the brand a little bit. Where I think there's an opportunity, and it'll help the agency and it'll help the client. As I said, I think that the the products are really technically superb, as they've always been. They're very aggressively uh, designed. And, and here's what they're doing, the product. This is the interesting thing. The product viscerally on the outside is beautiful and interesting and aggressive. Where they were lacking was that visceral feeling inside. They were always nice. They were always nice, but they got bland inside. Mm-hmm. Now... They are viscerally exciting again inside. It's like the IP comes up. It's the, the buttons, how they're laid out. It's all now much more interesting. And the performance of the car has kept getting better. And a few years ago, when I it was at the auto show, and all the cars were white, at the auto show, and all the cars were white, and the line they had up there, you know, they always have like some kind of a line for the auto show, right? Mm-hmm. And it had the word exhilaration. And my head practically exploded. I thought, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this is now the time. The cars are there. The cars are visually more interesting. They're younger, hip, cooler. 
you get inside those cars, they're cooler inside, they're more viscerally more interesting inside, they, they, they're more viscerally fun to drive, change the line to the pursuit of exhilaration. Mm. If you change the line to pursuit of exhilaration, you don't disenfranchise, you don't walk away from the pursuit of perfection. It's connected. The dealers can stay with uh, the pursuit of perfection. And I thought, this is the time because the cars look more exciting, the cars drive more exciting, and they're more exciting to be in. And so the pursuit of exhilaration, to me, let you not completely leave anything, but be attached to it of the relentless pursuit of perfection, the pursuit of perfection. <clears throat> and it also becomes the thing, the rudder in the water that guides everybody. Right. It's about exhilaration. So now, tell me, all my marketing, every time I do an ad, prove that it's more exhilarating. Well, the car looks it, the car drives it, the car's more interesting inside. So that was, <laughs> I, went up, I forgot who I talked to, but I went up and said, you need to think about this. And then just recently, I found out that they're actually thinking about that globally. Oh. Not that line, but they're thinking about changing that line. Okay. I like how, you know, you know, just to, to get into the weeds a little bit, I do like the idea of, uh, you know, making it about the pursuit. You know, the pursuit is core just as much as the word perfection is. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a multifaceted sort of a phrasing. So, you know, swapping out one of the words doesn't take away from everything there. So, No, and it, and it ends in I-O-N. So, 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 look, no one's going like, to, no like, think you're walking away with, from what uh, launched the brand. Yeah. Exhilaration is what the product delivers now in all three of those aspects. It's a real interesting opportunity. I don't know where they're going to end up with this, but, mm -hmm. um, but I do know as a creative director, just like I knew when I wrote the line, The Relentless Pursuit of Perfection, I had a sense then, before we even came up with the first campaign, that I could do thousands of commercials and print ads and radio spots and whatever off of that line. I knew that I could do that. Well, Tom, thank you very much for agreeing to, uh, to be interviewed. I really appreciate it. A lot of great insight. I enjoyed it. I, you know, I love this brand. I follow the brand. Um, and I just, I root for the brand. I, I, in my heart of hearts, um, the original team of Dave Ellingworth, Ted Toyota, uh, and that group, and Bob McCurry, who used to do a number on me, but I loved him <laughs> for it. Uh, it, was a, it was a magical time. This is a magical brand, and I just hope that they continue to have great success. They're doing all the right things right now. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, and thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely.